take your copy of the Word of God and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter one this morning. Everybody, everybody happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Some kind of quiet out there. I don't want to hit a lot of amens. I want to just say like read a verse that says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's get excited about that this morning. So yes. It is. If that's what it takes. If that's what it takes. Amen. Amen. We're right there in verse number one of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Amen. Amen. There we go. Amen. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my and my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the power of God. We thank you for the cross, Lord. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your local church. We thank you for the gathering of your saints here this morning. Lord, help us to, to see you high and lifted up. Lord, not just in our presence, Lord, as we gather together, but also in our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us to ignore the world for a moment. Ignore the agendas that, uh, that are before us. Ignore our past and maybe the sins that easily beset us, Lord, and just help us to focus on you this morning. Help us to remember the cross. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you can use me and Lord, and help me to convey what you've given me throughout this week, Lord, and Lord, to bring you honor and bring you glory. It's all about you this morning, and it should always, always be all about you. And Lord, and we thank you again for your word, the consistency of your word, the power found in your word, in your person. And Lord, and we invite you here among us this morning. Receive our worship, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I have to tell you, I love this epistle. It is my, my favorite, one of my favorite books of the Bible. I know I say that a lot, but I promise I have lots of favorites. I guess I can't really have all favorite 66 books, but they're all really good. But you can probably put two and two together here. And I've, I've, I've entitled this message this morning, Remember the Cross. Remember the Cross. Uh, in verse 5 here, in this passage, in, verse, in chapter number 1, Paul calls attention to Timothy's unfeigned faith. In Jesus Christ. It, it dwelt first in his grandmother, it, it, also in his mother. And because Paul was persuaded that it also dwelt in Timothy and that Timothy's faith was genuine, he sets forth a few reminders here that uh, are good for us to hear. 
They're good for us to hear in this day and age. They're, they've always been good for us to hear since they've been written. And without question, I want to, I want to add, remembering Jesus Christ, remembering that He is at the core of these reminders, everything in this passage Everything in the entire letter, everything in the entire New Testament, everything in the entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. It all points to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the core of the message. The message is not just written, it became flesh. Everything in this passage is because of the cross. So my goal this morning is to package this pa passage, if you will. And I know there's danger in packaging. You don't want to make the package more glamorous than what's inside. Because we never want to get away from that. But I, I've entitled this, Remember the Cross. And before we get started, I want to point out that our life must be in Christ. It must always be in Christ. Yes, God gives us some specific guidance here and in other places. But all of that guidance is anchored. It must be anchored in the cross. It, it cannot move from that. The cross doesn't move. We cannot move. Never forget the cross. And as I was studying this passage, and as you study this passage, we can easily see that there are multiple truths just here in the introduction. Multiple truths that are beneficial for us right here in the first few verses of 2 Timothy. I've already mentioned to you this morning and, and a couple other Sundays that this epistle means a lot to me. I have learned much from this book. God has used 2 Timothy greatly in my life as a soldier in the military and getting out of the, getting out of the military and, and going into the Lord's army, if you will. This passage has been a lot to me. And relative, I think I've already mentioned this as well this morning, but relative to the length of text, I probably have more devotions, more, more personal insight, more sermons from this portion of Scripture than I have from any other portion of Scripture in the entire Bible compared to the length. Similar in size. Obviously, John or something like that would be more of it, but similar in size more from these four chapters. And with that said, I would like to point out that one of the reasons Paul can recognize that Timothy had an unfeigned faith is because he had an unfeigned faith. He had a real faith. That word unfeigned is obviously not something we use a lot, but it means genuine. It means without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. It means authentic. Timothy was the real deal. Paul was the real deal. They were real Christians with a real faith, serving a real God with a real purpose. And they had a real passion for real people. And we'll see that here in the text. And as we go through this epistle this month, we will get into the crux of the letter, no doubt. But I want to highlight, again, just a few truths from Paul's introduction. I want to point out the fact that the only way that Paul, Timothy, and each of us can have an unfeigned faith, a genuine, authentic faith, is if our position has been changed. Our position must be changed. And I know that faith goes along with that, and we'll talk about being saved and how we change our position or how God changes our position a little bit this morning. But right off, right initially this morning, I want to point out that our position must be in Christ. I'm talking about where we stand before God. It must be in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, think about Paul for a moment. Before his conversion, Saul, was he not a very unique man? He was a unique man with a unique pedigree. He was a devout Pharisee under the great Gamaliel. I mean, he was well-known, well-respected, well-loved. 
But he had one real problem. You see, his theology was incomplete. And his rejection of Christ was a death sentence. And in his spiritual blindness, Saul greatly persecuted those who knew the truth. If we can understand the, the book of Acts a little, uh, a little bit better, you remember when, when uh, who was it, Peter standing outside, he was released by the angels, he's standing outside the door of Mark's mother's house, and he's fearful to stand on, the church, uh, stand on the streets there because the soldiers, the Bible even tells us that the Roman soldiers went looking for him, or the Jewish soldiers rather, went looking for him the next day. So Paul was one of them. If we were in the first century here before the conversion of Paul, he'd be knocking on our front door, hey, are y'all meeting here? Are y'all worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? It's time to go. I've got orders from the Pharisees to bring you in. He greatly persecuted those who knew the truth. In his own words, he considered himself a blasphemer and a persecutor. But as he confessed in his first letter to Timothy, he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That was a big deal for Paul. You see, Paul's position before God had changed. And here in verse 1, he begins this very last letter with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. By the will of God. He was now a new creature in Christ. He was no longer a Pharisee, no longer a persecutor of Christ. He was a promoter of the faith and a significant pro promoter of the faith. Paul was a blasphemer, but God enabled him. God counted him faithful. God put him in the ministry. And all of that, according to Paul, was by the will of God. By the will of God. Why was Paul an apostle? Why was Paul in the ministry? Why was Paul a Christian? It was the will of God. It was the will of God. You may be asking yourself, what this has to do with me this morning? What does his change of position have to do with me? Well, friends, if God can change a man like Saul of Tarsus, he can change me and he can change you. And quite frankly, this morning, it is the will of God for us to be changed. It is God's will for us to be in the right position. And that position is in Christ. Referring back to his own conversion, the Apostle Paul uh, he recognized, he wrote about his recognition of sin in light of the law there in Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to pull it up here on a slide here. He wrote this, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. And by it, by it being the, the commandment, slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. In other words, the goodness of the law revealed the wickedness of sin and the condemnation that came with sin, death, and the change of position was realized before Paul. He realized that I'm, in, I'm not in the right position. And I think we can, uh, we can take away from that the law, the Ten Commandments, every ought to, and all the commands that we see in the Bible that we see as oppression maybe. They're not just to make you feel bad, just. 
They're made to point you to Jesus Christ. They're made, they're made, to, they're made to highlight our sin so that sin can be exceeding sinful and we can realize who we are and we can realize that we have no hope in ourselves and we can reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see his, our own need for Him. You see, Jesus paid it all. All of it. 1 John 2.2 2 states that Jesus is the propitiation, the payment, the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Further along in the book of Romans, he writes in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, therefore, or There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So here's a simple question for you this morning. What is your position in Christ? What is your position before God? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Listen, just like it was the will of God for Paul to be an apostle, it is the will of God for you to be a Christian. It is God's will. 2 Peter 3.9 states that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance the affirmative truth from that verse is that it is God's will that no man perish. No soul go to hell. That every soul should come to repentance. Christ died for every single person. He died for you and he died for me. So I will, I will say this. If you are not a Christian today, you are living in opposition to the will of God. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says that we are enemies without Christ. Enemies of God. I mean, think about that. God is the almighty creator. There is no match for God. And we are his enemy without, without Christ. But if we read the rest of verse 1, we see that Paul's apostleship was indeed by the will of God, but also to the promise, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's position before God had changed because he believed the promise. He believed the promise of life. And for us, this promise is the same. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. If you remember Genesis 3.15, where God promised a deliverer to crush the head of the serpent. It, that promise is then carried all the way through the patriarchs, all the way to Jesus Christ. And the twofold purpose, there's probably manyfold, the twofold purpose that we'll look at this morning is to bring glory to God and to reconcile us back to God. To bring us into the fold, to bring us into a position that we were created to be in. We were created for God's glory, and we can bring no glory to God without being in Christ. You see, again, quite simply, and as clear as I know how to put it, we are born in sin. We are born with a sin nature, we are born as sinners, we are born as enemies of God. But God commendeth his love toward us. And now while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do it. So God became man in the person of Jesus Christ and paid our sin debt on the cross of Calvary. So when we by faith, the best way we know how to exercise that faith, when we receive the gift of salvation, when we receive by faith Jesus Christ, we receive the promise of life, the promise of eternal life. Our position changes. And for all of those who struggle with whether or not God wants you, and I don't know, I've never really had this struggle, but I've talked to people who have. Whether or not God wants you or whether or not God can work with someone like you, you know that it is God's will for you to be in, in Christ. 
He desires greatly that you receive the free gift of salvation. He desires greatly that you have a position in Christ according to His promises. So again, have you believed the promise? Have you believed the promise? If it was all over today and you were standing before a holy God, would you be left to your own merits? Or would you be in Christ? Which position would you be in? What is your position? And I'm not here to to preach this to make you challenge or doubt your own salvation, but to make sure it's genuine, to make sure it's real. We can know, the Bible says, 1 John 5, 13, we can know that we have eternal life. Do you know? What's your position? As Paul continues, we read about how Paul's position in Christ affected his purpose in Christ. Verse 3 is actually a result of verse 1. Verse 1 again says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve. I thank God whom I serve. So for us to not only must our position be in Christ, our purpose must be in Christ. Our purpose must be in Christ. Because of Paul's position... His entire being was altered. Everything about him changed. You know, it, it, even in our life, there should be a before Christ in our life, a BC and an AD moment, if you will. There should be a moment when life begins, and you should be able to recognize that. Paul's entire purpose for life was altered. He didn't just receive a renewed purpose. He had a new purpose. Everything was changed. That's what repentance says. He was going a certain direction, and God, of course, corrected him to the right direction. He had a new purpose based on his position in Christ. Look at verse 3 again. I thank God whom I serve. That's amazing to me. Those six words truly sum up all of Paul's life, do they not? I thank God whom I serve. They should sum up our life. I thank God whom I serve. Remember the appeal and command in Joshua? You remember back there when right before he was getting ready to lead them? He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he finishes with, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We must choose to serve God. He must be our purpose. And remember, this is not a question for unbelievers. That's the first point of this sermon tonight. That's for this morning. This question is for believers. Joshua was speaking to the lost or to the children of Israel? To the children of Israel. So my question to you is, as a child of God, who do you serve? Who do you serve? Personally, as I put this together, and this is not something that's new to me, I've, I think the Lord's reminded me of this quite, a, quite often. I'm convinced that the world, that this church, that my marriage, that my children, that everything around me needs less of me and more of Jesus Christ. More of Jesus Christ. And the only way for that to happen in my life is through a complete surrender to Jesus Christ. I must serve God completely. My life cannot be about me. It cannot be about my agenda. It can't be about what I think is wrong or right. My entire life should be according to His purpose. I cannot be rooted in anything like my favorite sports team or a video game or where I'm from in America or around the world as a Christian. Who I am, I love this, who I am as a Christian has nothing to do with who I am. Right? It has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, who, verse 9 says, hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, 
but according to His purpose, according to His own purpose. God has a specific task for you. God has a specific purpose, and individually, a Shannon Falanchek purpose, a Tyler Morgan purpose, a Johannes, I don't know, a Hilfra purpose. He has a purpose for each and every one of us, a directly tailored individual purpose for you, for your skills, for your talents, for your abilities. He has a specific purpose for every day of your life. But notice this, his purpose for you is not according to you. It's not according to your skills. It's not according to your talents. It's not according to your abilities. It's not according to your works. It's according to his purpose. And this is something I think I need to get a hold of that Christians today really need to grasp because so many of us live our lives according to me, according to our purpose. Oh, yes, we put some shrouds around it. I'm doing this for Jesus. I had a friend of mine that says they were they were in Hawaii. Great place. And she had this uh, thing where I was I'd be suffering for Jesus in Hawaii. Now, (laughs) and it's quite funny because a lot of people who live in Hawaii for a while, at least in that Christian, they, they understand that. But I have another friend who was a pastor of me, my first pastor in my adult church named Pastor Steve Weigel, a dear friend of mine today. And he went to first go to Hawaii in 1974, somewhere around there. And he went on deputation. Now, y'all know that you go from church to church to to ask the church to help you live off the gospel so you can plant churches in in a foreign land. For him, it was Hawaii. And it took six years for him to be on deputation. This is 1974. The average deputation in 1974, the 70s, was two years, three years. It took him six years, and he left with 40% support. He truly suffered. But he planted churches for 22 years in the islands and then pastored a church for almost 20 years, a military church there on Oahu. His purpose must be greater than our purpose. Our talents, our skills, all that we are, all of us, I gesture to all of me, must be for His purpose. We have to get a hold of that. So many of us live our lives from day to day planning for college, maybe. Planning for our next duty station, or our next job, or our next degree, our next career. But it cannot be about us. We say, it's my life to live. But in Philippians 1.21, Paul wrote, for me to live as Christ. And quite frankly, I think a life completely given to Him is according, according to Romans 12.1, is what, Brother Shannon? <laughs> Unreasonable. <laughs> he, was, he was taking notes. So we can give our whole life to God, and He doesn't say it's above and beyond the call of duty. He says it's simply reasonable. Who do you serve? Who do you serve, Christian? What is your purpose in life? Do you make decisions, decisions based or according to yourself? Or according to your Savior? Is your position in Christ? Is your purpose in Christ? And then notice verse number four. Paul says, He greatly desired to see thee, that's Timothy, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, that dwelt, uh, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance. That thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. Friends, our passion must be in Christ. Our passion must be in Christ. You know, if our position before God has really been changed, we used to be an enemy of God, and now we are in Christ. If that has really occurred, we will begin to show fruit from the inward to the outward. It will reflect in every aspect of our life. Our purpose will begin to reflect our position. In other words, while our position, our salvation, if you will, it is a one-time event, an irreversible event that Christ Himself likens it to a birth. It's a one-time irreversible event. Our purpose in Christ is something that gets clearer and clearer as we live and serve Him. But make no mistake, our purpose, from, whence, from when our position changed from enemy to in Christ, our purpose completely changes. Now we might not put all that together, but it should change. It should change. Immediate change of priorities. But it is connected, however, to our sanctification. As we grow in the Lord, we get to realize that this priority needs to be over here in my old life. This priority needs to be in this life. And we change and live and grow in the Lord, making our purpose about Him. And as believers, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think this text says that we are distinctly responsible for some things because of our new position in Christ, because of our purposes in Christ, in addition to those things I just mentioned. Notice that Paul doesn't charge Timothy to have an unfeigned faith. Right? Timothy is already a believer. He already has an authentic faith. He charges him to do what? Stir up that faith. To stir up the gift of God. Now the gift of God we see in Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. So our salvation is the gift of God. But friends, so is our faith. There's nothing we can do to come to Christ. He, he does it all. Christ gives us the gift of salvation. He gives us the grace. He enables us through faith. He calls us. We just simply yield. Our coming to Christ is not by any merit of ourselves. It is simply yielding to His enablement. And while it is God who changes us, again, no salvation without Christ, no sanctification without Christ, there, are some, there is some stirring, I think, that Paul is telling Timothy that should be done on our part. Notice verse 6 again. Who does he tell to stir up the faith? Peter, but he, or, or Timothy. But he doesn't tell, hey, call out to God and get some stirring. He says, thou stir up the gift. Thou stir up the gift of God. Stay focused on the things of God, Timothy. Don't neglect the gifts of God. Get stirred. He, you can almost see... Him, if he was in, in person there, listen, young Timothy, you're going to be bombarded by the world. You're going to be bombarded, bombarded by the sin, the wickedness from every angle. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get kicked while you're down. You need to stay passionate for the cross. You need to hold on to the truths of doctrine that are in this book. Stay focused, young Timothy. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Keep it ever before you. Let it stir you. Be stirred and stay stirred. Don't be moved. Stay passionate for the things of God. Listen, folks, this is a truth that should penetrate to the depths of our hearts. We must stay passionate for God. We must stay passionate for the cross. I get it. We can't always be on fire for the Lord, as they say. But somehow we sure do get passionate about a whole lot of other things throughout the week. While our faith is just off to the side somewhere. We get passionate about cars and sports and politics and computers, phones, guns, all kinds of things. I want to point out that we can never be too stirred up for the things of God. We can never be too stirred for the cross. 
And I realize that if we start to live that life, if you and I as Christians in the workplace and in our homes and around those that we have an influence on, if we start really living a life that's stirred up for God all the time, we're going to get some raised eyebrows. I understand that. And many of those who associate with us may think even less of us if we are passionate about serving Jesus Christ. We're the radicals. Again, it'll make the weird place a work or the workplace a weird place. I realize that. They may even call you names. Bible thumper, churchgoer. One of the units I was in in the army, they called us the holy rollers. Sometimes out of respect, sometimes not so much. But we're not to be concerned with these things. You know, Paul didn't encourage Timothy to fight the good fight of faith if it was culturally accepted. He didn't say, if you get a chance, Timothy, while you're at it, if you get some time, get stirred up for the Lord a little bit. If you can find some time in your, in your personal life, get passionate about God. No, he wrote that when, the, when he remembered the unfeigned faith that was in Timothy, he reminded him to get stirred up. So you get the connection there? It's like I see faith in Shannon. I'm reminded of the faith in Shannon. Hey, Shannon, I see that you're a Christian. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. And him to me and, and us to each other. It's like us telling each, over, telling each other over and over again, remember the cross. Remember the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus? I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. It should be our motto. Remember the cross. You know, speaking of mottos, you Texans will like this. Y'all, I'm greatly outnumbered here. But in 1836, during the Texas War for Independence, 200 men fought for their lives defending the Alamo before a numerically superior force. Thirteen days later, the Alamo fell to the enemy, but the zeal of the men that defended the Alamo lived on. Still lives on. You can go there today and see it in San Antonio. The phrase, remember the Alamo, became a motto that stirred the ire of the troops and Texas won her independence a few months later. You see, a deep passion for something can change the course of events. It really can. And our zeal for God can keep us hyper-focused on the cross. It can keep us focused on living out God's purpose in our lives. When we are stirred up in the faith according to knowledge, when we have zeal according to knowledge, and we are enabled by the Holy Spirit, we will not be deterred by opposition. We will be passionate for the Lord. We will not be deterred by sin in this life. Why? What does verse 7 say? Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. We don't have to be. We can be passionate and let I know it's a gambling reference, but let the chips fall where they may. Be passionate for the Lord and go all out. Let it all out on the table, as they say. We are to serve God passionately. For us to live should be Christ. Our life must be for the cross. What is your passion in life? What is your passion? Are you stirred for the cross? Are you stirred for Christ and the things of God? I challenge you this morning, and I challenge myself to leave it all on the table, to go all out serving God with our whole heart. I promise it'll change your life. It'll change this church. It'll change this community. Remember the cross. And then lastly this morning, I want to point out one more thing. There in verses 7 and 8. 
The Bible again says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. You know, there is so much to learn from this verse. But our takeaway this morning is that God has given us the spirit of power. The spirit of power. Our power must be in Christ. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible writes, John writes, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So God has given us the power to change our position. Again, he does all the work, but by faith. Ephesians 2.10 states that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we are created with the power to fulfill God's purpose on earth, very clearly. And then we are, back in our text here, we are not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to the power of God. So not only must our position be in Christ, our purpose must be in Christ. Our passion must be in Christ. So must our power. We must not do things on our power, but on His and in His. And there are two commands really in this verse here. Very clearly to see there. Don't be ashamed and be a partaker of afflictions. Don't be ashamed and be a partaker of afflictions according to the power of God. Paul would later write in this same epistle that those who live godly, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus... Will be billionaires? <laughs> no. Shall suffer persecution. So, shall, shall suffer persecution. And as we kind of come to a close this morning, I would like to put it this way. If we truly have an undeserved position before God, how could we ever be ashamed of God? And if we're not ashamed of God, I think it will reflect in our purposed life for God. And we will gladly be a partaker of the afflictions that are associated with the gospel. But all of that is according to the power of God. Our position is according to the power of God. Our purpose is according to the power of God. Our passion is according to the power of God. And because we are not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, we have power from God to be a partaker of afflictions specifically of the gospel. Not just afflictions for doing right, afflictions for the gospel. There is a difference there. Sometimes, many times in the military and in my own life, in the workplace, we are persecuted, if you will, afflicted, if you will, for living morals Morgan, right? You told me that story there, for doing right. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should always do right. But we should also be willing and able with the power of God to be persecuted specifically for sharing the gospel. That's different. You know, you can say, thank God, trust God. You mentioned Jesus. It changes things, does it not? It changes things. I had a soldier when I was in the military in Hawaii, and he was a young E2, E3, something like that. And I had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord. And he had this zeal to tell everybody about the Lord, even the battalion's art major. And the battalion's art major was kind enough to be gentle on him and be nice to him. But I like that zeal. He counted it all a loss just to share the gospel, specifically afflicted for the gospel. 
But I think many of us have not been given the power to endure the afflictions of the gospel because we do not live a godly life. We don't have the power to endure because we are ashamed of Christ. That, that, that verse is easy to look at and easy to walk away. Don't be ashamed of Christ. It's harder to live. All of us have been ashamed of Christ. Every single one of us. We get to that point. Hey, tell them about the Lord. That, that unstill, subtle voice in your mind. Tell them about Jesus. Mm, that's embarrassing. You don't say that, but you don't share it. And neither do I. I've told you the stories many times about me trying to share the gospel and God telling you to do it. And I've tried my very best in these latter years, the last 10 years or so, to always follow the Holy Spirit. I don't always get it right. But when we don't get it right, I think it's attached to our ashamed of, of him somehow. If you do not have a position in Christ this morning, I pray that you don't leave here without making sure. Don't leave here without knowing you have a home in heaven. And if you have that faith that we're talking about here this morning, if you have that unfeigned faith, remember the cross. Keep it before you always. And let us pray. Heavenly